Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. This is Charlene Anderson, your wholesale sourcing expert. Here on Wednesday, July 17th, 2019, with another podcast. This one is one I know everybody's been looking forward to because we have a very special guest. We have Chris McCabe, the man who knows all things Amazon, with us. Um, Chris, <laughs> Chris is a former Amazonian who has been uh, working on his own as a consultant for many years now. So welcome, Chris. Yes, thank you. We're, I really and, appreciate uh, taking the time out of your schedule to join us. Yeah, good to be back. Um, do you want to start off and tell us, before we get into the questions, I don't want to forget mm-hmm. um, about the conference next week that's in Seattle. Sure. Yep. I'm, I'm hosting uh, the Seller Velocity Conference. We had one last year in New York. We're doing it in Seattle this time. It's July 24th uh, from 1 to 5 p.m., so anyone who's in the Northwest or in the Seattle area, um, even if you're not from there, if you happen to be there for Amazon meetings like I am, feel free to join us in person. Um, and there's also a live stream ticket. And we've got uh, several speakers, uh, kind of a half former Amazon lineup, and um, also Leah McHugh, who's been active in your group on listing compliance issues and UPC codes and variations and that sort of thing. Um, and it's going to be kind of something for everyone. It's definitely for sellers that have been established and are looking for some advanced content in terms of what I'll be talking about in particular, which will focus on brand registry escalations, um, escalations of account suspensions, of course, and ASIN reinstatements, which, I mean, that impacts everybody. So we're looking forward to it. And you have a live stream we could access, correct? Yes. Uh, right. Not only do I have the live stream... Yeah, the, um, the the discount code we're setting your group members up with is the highest discount of anyone we've offered. <laughs> so oh, um, it's going to be 50%. It's going to be 50%. I, I have to double check on the code itself. I wanted to have it for our call today. Um, but it's, it's something I can give you after we finish this uh, Q&A. Um, it'll, it'll amount to 50% off the live stream ticket, which is currently $99. So, so it would be less than $50. Yeah, I think that comes to, what, 49-something, so. Yeah, that's awesome. That's mm-hmm. great. So we'll post the code in the group um, after the podcast when Chris has it available so you guys can take advantage of it. Um, you know, one hint is where it would be worth the $50 is kind of how I look at things. You know, one thing right. can change everything. So let's jump into the questions because we have a ton mm-hmm. of them. I think there were 28 total. I know we won't get to them all. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> since I'm running nice. things, I can ask the ones I want to know first. <laughs> and yep. the first one was John Wayne. John Wayne took the words right out of my mouth, and he says, selling wholesale often means we piggyback on listings created by others. It is frustrating mm-hmm. and near impossible to improve or optimize titles and descriptions. We make edits, then wait for Amazon, and then nothing. Sometimes a critical error will get changed if we open the case, but it's quite laborious. So based right. on that, how do we deal with this title issue? The, the characters in a title? Well, in terms of, I mean, I thought I'd answer that question by just talking about all piggybacking onto listings that you can't control Excellent. the content. Any Perfect. listing, any listing that might require any kind of, I mean, whether it's an image, a bullet needs to be changed, the title's wrong. Um, unfortunately, the news isn't great in terms of the future of being a reseller and having this problem because you will have to wait on catalog teams um, and cut tickets with um, support teams to get to catalog and get that information changed. You're doing the things you usually do. You supply information from the manufacturer website to prove that you've got accurate information and you're correcting inaccuracies. Um, but in terms of, I mean, when you're not doing brand registry, you're not the private label brand or the, the brand that you're trying to sell, um, it, there's going to be frustrating back and forth. They've got thousands of these tickets pending at any given moment. 
Um, there are a lot of changes happening to listings. I mean, I'm talking about private label brands are, are even struggling to, to maintain their listing content because contributions are changing around their ASINs. So imagine what it's like with, when you've got t uh, large numbers of resellers of major brands who are trying to compete and leapfrog past each other with different kinds of content and go to the catalog teams. So in terms of speeding that up, making it less laborious, I have very little hope that that'll happen. Um, the best you can do is keep it clean on your side and have really easy to review and understand information um, that'll help catalog teams make that, enact that type of change quicker. But the big picture is that when you're piggybacking on listings, you are somewhat at the mercy of Amazon's methods for handling resellers and people who aren't the brand registered um, controller of the ASIN contributions for that product. So, I mean, this is kind of an issue with IP infringements as well, which I know you have another question about that. Um, when you're piggybacking on something that isn't correct, you should deactivate your listing until it's correct. Don't just stay there pending uh, catalog correcting something based on the ticket that you've um, submitted. You should not be on a listing that's non-compliant. You'll be held responsible for whatever errors are present there. So that includes the title link? Includes everything. Um, I was starting to refer more to like copyrighted content, but okay, those kind of things I think are easier for us to you know to understand. But the whole title yeah. link issue, um, it's like talk about closing the barn door, you know, after the horse is out. Mm -hmm. um, right. What? Okay, so here's here's a, a an actual hands-on thing that I'm wondering. Um, I've had different seller support agents tell me. I can't just go to the, the help section and then open a ticket where it says fix a product page and you know you get those drop downs about what you want to fix. Some agents tell mm -hmm. me I have to fix it in my inventory first and then come to them to fix it. Is that true? I mean, catalog teams, if, you're, if you have any doubt about what you've been told, make sure you're talking to people on catalog teams because they're getting the information from the horse's mouth. Um, in terms of, I mean, it would. I'd probably need to look at some examples to, to figure out if that's actually true in that particular case. Um, but if there's an error on your side, obviously they don't want you uh, loading a new listing that's got mistakes in it. Um, that's something that you have to fix on your side before you start asking them, well, should I fix it this way, fix it that way? They might not have great in information on that. Um, that might involve just some studying up if you're making a mistake. Uh, if it's something that's yeah, live on the site, is that we're talking yeah. about something that's live on the site? Right, because all of our group members now are pretty savvy about making new listings, and they know how to okay. be compliant. It's those of us who okay. have, you know, are whole, buying wholesale and have there's existing listings with problems. Right, um, that's something where you need to get the catalog and have them. They usually want specific information from you. You have to show it to them and they need to make the changes for you because you're talking about reselling, right? Yeah, so how do we get to the catalog yeah. team and avoid the idiot through seller support and seller support? So you, you have, have to, to I mean if you're if you're not getting if you're not getting the catalog through the person you're talking to, it probably makes sense to give up on that call and try again. Um, because it is possible to get to catalog through seller support and that's what you need for that instance. So Okay. If somebody's refusing to send you the catalog and they give you some bad information, just say, okay, thanks, hang up and do it again. Yeah, I mean, I never called. There's no other good way to I, do. <laughs> yeah. I do it by email just because I, I, I have to admit, it's one time when I lose my cool is with seller support. Mm -hmm. So if I do it right. by email, then I don't lose my cool. So it's, that's, that's just right. to protect me and them both. That's a know, good idea, say. actually. There are a lot of people that feel that way, so I mean that's something to consider because yeah. as of right now, um, you don't have a pipeline to the catalog teams that is functional and good advice and answers your question easily and quickly. I mean that doesn't exist right now. So it's just a, it's just a different workaround approach to it. Yeah, it's, and it's, isn't it a shame, I mean, that we have to do all these workarounds, you know? Um, I mean, most people, yeah, it is. It's a waste of time. Most people I work with, I mean, they have a designated employee who's doing this, which um, 
probably has high turnover because that would make you nuts. I was just going to say, but, who would take yeah. that job? Oh, my God, yeah. Um, my, my I know. Hell, you know. I know. Um, so um, you can waste a lot of UP- time on that, but, yeah. Let's talk about UPC codes for a minute because there's a couple issues that mm-hmm. have come up. Um, John and Sarah both had questions about it. And I have found this out at the last trade show because I am now, I know that they have to be, even though you have a code that's GS1 registered, if it's not registered to the company in question, that's an issue. A lot of my small manufacturers have been buying the company, the UPCs from dead companies, you know, and they they Mm -hmm. admit they do it. Um, Right. It's kind so we're kind of in a catch twenty two. You know, this is the UPC that's on the package, so we put it in, you know, as a listing and find out later it's registered to a barbecue company, not a yarn company. You know, um, right. because the barbecue company went out of business. Retroactively, what should we we be doing to try to become compliant on those? Is there anything we can do? I mean, and some of the questions that that I've seen on this. I mean, you're so you're expected to be compliant with all listing policies. So if you're using UPCs that aren't matching GS1, you're technically non-compliant and you're taking a risk. So some of but this is just a question that, of how much of you know, yeah. I mean, it, whether it's retroactive or not, that's Amazon's. Amazon isn't, you know, using an an entire purge cleaning system to get through. Like, well, any listing that isn't GS1 compliant has to come down today. They haven't done that yet even though they have all this information from GS1. This is uh, something that uh, Leah McHugh knows a lot about because she's talked to GS1 and she understands the nature of their relationship to Amazon. Um, This isn't something we expect to happen overnight, but you never know with Amazon. I mean, it would create a lot of chaos in the catalog and we don't expect to purge. We expect this to go into the bucket of we're going to do this slowly, gradually. So you just have to expect that if you're on a listing that has all the information on it and the real uh, compliant listing with the UPC, whether it exists or not, let's just for the moment say it exists, it's out there. Not many people are using it, but that's the one that's GS1 compliant. You have to expect there could be a lightning strike, the non-compliant listing could vanish, and you're all going to be pushed onto the new one. So it's just a question of how would you want to prepare for that eventuality? Does that mean you, you move things over there now when no one else is on that listing? I mean, there isn't a great solution. There isn't a great answer to that problem. But we know it's a problem. So, I mean, the first part is identifying, you know, don't continue to go down that road of buying uh, resold UPCs. Or, I mean, in terms of the defunct company, in terms of the defunct company, I mean, that's, right. I mean, that's that's a recipe for disaster using defunct company UPCs. So, to me, it's just kind of X's and O's at this point. Things are GS1 compliant or they're not. If they're not GS1 compliant and you want to be compliant, you've got to be on the right one. Um, there are people who in certain circumstances make, you know, manage to get exemptions if they're using, you know, but that's particular to that situation. Um, yeah, and that and you have to get an exemption. Other, yeah, that brings up the other point is, one, many of us created listings using the UPC code that was on the back of the package when we bought this stuff wholesale. We are now finding mm-hmm. out after the fact that the manufacturer bought the cheap codes. It's not us who did it. And this is stuff we're now finding out when we know we have to ask that now. So that's one issue yeah. that's come up. The second yeah. one is a lot of these small mom and pop manufacturers can't afford the GS1 codes, you know, the, the, the price mm-hmm. of them. So mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, I can't do anything about what's done now. I can't change those um, UPCs that are on those listings. And theoretically, I don't mm-hmm. think I should be making new listings because then that would be a right. policy too. Right. So my thought was for these mom and pop companies that I'm, I source from, and most of them are mom and pops that I source from, um, I will be asking now, are these UPC codes on your products registered to your brand name? That's one thing. If they aren't, yeah, and someone will say, they'll say, oh, no, we just got the cheap ones off eBay red flag and at that point mm-hmm. my thought would be apply for an exemption 
for that brand right. because those really aren't their UPC codes. Those are just there mainly for the convenience of a brick-and-mortar store so they can put it in their point-of-sale system because they don't care what they're registered to at brick-and-mortar. They just need a number to scan. Right, um, does that exactly. I mean, the whole point about mom-and-pop shops can't afford GS1. I mean, to Amazon, that's somebody else's problem. It's not their problem. So I'm not sure what right. they say about that. I mean, you but can take you, the exemption. But if you got path. an exemption, um, you know, wouldn't that work? I would think so, yeah. Um, I, I mean, mean, this I is the entire reason I invited – yeah, this is the main reason I invited Leah to be a speaker at Seller Velocity. So she not, – not to punt it to her during our podcast, but she's the um, leading expert, the best expert for strategy around this kind of problem. Um, and that's why, you know, she's an expert in other listing compliance areas as well. Um, but she's probably the best person to, you know, well, what are my options at this point? Um, we know that we've seen some people losing listings that they want to get back and they get vague messaging around your detail page doesn't match the product you're selling. Lots of people are, are seeing those. And of course, the background is, well, are they just talking about the, the UPC not matching or not? So we take those case by case and assess, you know, first of all, let's look and see if the UPC matches GS1. Um, and secondly, let's look at the whole account. You know, if it's a regular client of ours, let's look at the account and see how many of these UPCs are matching broadly over the entire uh, inventory that they sell. Because if it's most of what you're selling isn't matching, then obviously that's a, that should be, in theory, a bigger problem than one or two listings. Okay. I have 3,000 so, yeah. active SKUs. I would say the vast majority mm -hmm. of mine match, but I know some don't mm -hmm. because they were done by the manufacturer who's freely admitted they right. did this. Because they're a right. company, you know, making stuff in their, their attic or whatever kind of thing. So right. no, I, think, I totally understand. I, I think, yeah. yeah, what I'm gonna do best mm -hmm. practices is I'm gonna sit tight on the stuff that's there right now. Um, and just make sure I'm 1,000% with the UPC thing moving forward, whether it, that's that the means, only way to know. Yeah, yeah. that's the only way you to know, know because unfortunately if you call and talk to one catalog person or one person in seller support and you go back later and say, well, so-and-so told me this on July 18th, it's like, well, great. <laughs> that, that doesn't really hold water. If they do something later, they'll say too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think – By the way, um, I, I found the code for your group. <laughs> Can I just give oh, it to you now? Yeah, it's WSE. That's the 50% off code, WSE. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I knew I had it. I was trying to find it, but I didn't find it when we started. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, so Ellie asked, does that mean you create a whole new listing and delete the old one? I mean, theoretically, that would be ideal, but I'm not, I'm not going to be doing that personally, Ellie. Yeah. Um, I'm going to sit tight and see what shakes out. That's just where I stand. Right. Um, and make sure... I either have an exemption for the brand or the um, UPC is registered to the brand moving forward. Um, and that's what I started at the last trade show because of this coming an issue. And I could ex talk to people about why it's an issue. And I got a brand exemption yesterday, so it's still fairly simple. Um, it was less than 12 hours before it was approved for someone who has no UPCs at all. So, um, so it's still possible to do. Um, so John is asking in the group, we can buy a GS1 code if we source from a manufacturer that doesn't have barcodes, right? Um, I think that might be a Leah question because why would you yeah. want to spend the money, the money for that code and register it to the brand? Why shouldn't they be doing it? And if they should be if doing they're not that. willing, to, you shouldn't have yeah, to do that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And if they're not willing to do it, then ask for the GTIN exemption for that brand since they don't right. have barcodes. Right. And the great okay. thing about your group and your Facebook group is that you have a lot of discussion about, I mean, way more discussion about those particular nitty-gritty issues than I see on other sites and other groups, um, which well, means you're you. taking it seriously now and you're not going to be surprised down the road. Um, you know, we're getting out ahead of it, which I like. Yeah, I mean, our group, I, I have to say, you know, they are – uh, they're upfront, they're smart, and, you know, they mm -hmm. are willing to do what it takes to make their business grow within those guidelines that Amazon sets. Just that we just can't yep. sometimes find where those sidelines are, you know, um, where they want us to. So let's move on to something else. Um, um, the, um, the big question that Sandra and Ryan had um, 
um, for someone or a couple, they go, <clears throat> meaning them, getting ready to quit corporate America and make third-party FBA <laughs> selling their main source of income, what are the top two maintenance account, ma- account maintenance issues you think they should be focused on? And we're talking about reselling, right? Not being private right. label? Um, because it's no, a different reselling. answer. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, the, well, let's start with the top issue, which is make sure you are selling brands that are okay with you selling on Amazon. Don't expect to trench in on any um, right of resale doctrine uh, arguments or defenses with Amazon teams. All the evidence is that Amazon won't back you if you've got a dispute with a brand. Obviously, you might have a legal issue with a brand if they falsely accuse you of counterfeit, um, and you've got legitimate sourcing that you can prove you're, you're buying from a, a wholesaler who has a relationship with the company or an authorized distributor, that's always going to be out there, and that could happen any time. But if it, first you're getting accused of selling counterfeit by a brand that doesn't want you selling their stuff on Amazon, or they're submitting a rights owner infringement against you, or it's a copyright issue. I mean, this is, this is something where you're not going to get into the legal fight with Amazon. They're not going to mediate a legal dispute and, dispute and get involved and back you or back the brand. They're not taking that role here. So unless you're so, at peace with the brands you're, you're reselling, you're going to run into to trouble. So, I mean, don't even start a business and quit your job unless you know I'm going in selling five or 10 or 20 brands, but they know I'm selling. They know what my storefront name is versus my company name. Um, they know I've got documentation proving legitimate sourcing of these items, so they're not going to accuse me of counterfeit because otherwise you're, you're losing listings like crazy. You're defending yourself against counterfeit complaints. IP complaints, and you're just setting yourself up for a nightmare. Okay. And the second one? Um, The second one, I would say um, listing compliance. There are a lot of people who don't understand things like variations. They're accidentally creating duplicates. I know some of this is on the upload side. They're they're not necessarily using flat files. They might be using Channel Advisor or Zentail or you know, there's an integration problem, but you're responsible for anything that shows up on the site, whether or not it's an accident, whether or not you misunderstood policy, whether or not you missed uh, an update and you weren't monitoring policy pages. Understand that listing compliance, listing abuse, whether it's intentional or unintentional, can get you in the hot water and get you in the position where you need to talk to somebody like me who helps you write a plan of action about how you're not going to run into that again and all the due diligence you've got in place now that wasn't there previously to prevent future listing violations. Because, I mean, Q3 is a great time of year for us to see catalog cleanup and harshness around enforcement when it comes to listing violations. But I still hear from people who who tell me, like, well, we didn't know that or that was an update and we missed it, which is fine. I understand that. Somebody like me can be compassionate about that. Somebody like Amazon doesn't care about that. Yeah, and they're care. going to suspend you. If you meet the criteria, I mean, I know it sounds robotic because it is robotic without the robots, if that makes sense. They are, if you mm-hmm. meet the criteria for a suspension, they're going to suspend you. They don't want to be on the hook for, well, I'm going to give this seller a pass, and then that seller queues up again five days later for the same or a different violation, and everyone's asking, why weren't they suspended five days ago? These, these violations have been going back two months. No investigator wants to be on the hook for that. So that's a time where as a seller, you kind of have to put yourself in their shoes and think about what they're afraid of and think about what they're afraid of missing or taking action on. And historically at Amazon, just to kind of tidy this up, sending warnings, you know, we all say, well, why didn't you warn me first? I mean, sometimes a warning gets the message across. Other times, only a suspension gets the real message across. And historically at Amazon, just sending warnings hasn't really resulted in that much more compliance than they had before. Um, I think suspensions of of an entire account, that's much better known now than a few years ago. So people are a lot more afraid of having that hit, and they're more likely to hire somebody like me to review their account for signs of weakness and signs of potential uh, suspension causes. But Generally speaking, that isn't the case. Um, People are continuing to do what they do. They haven't been stopped by Amazon. Maybe they got a warning. Maybe they didn't, but they keep going until they get suspended, unfortunately. So. Okay. Now, same question for private label sellers. You said it would be different. So what are the differences that a private label seller should be looking for? 
Oh, the number one thing you're worried about if you're a private label seller is getting attacked, having somebody sabotage your listing. I've stopped using the term hijacked listings. That's why if you go to the Seller Velocity Conference uh, website, you'll see that I'm talking about sabotaged listings for brands, but I'm never going to talk about hijack because sellers are misusing that term, and I've seen it on the forums and different Facebook groups. The, the word hijack is being used in about eight different ways. So I talk about sabotage, which is somebody changing your listing, changing the image, changing the bullets. There are a lot of loopholes and vendor central people with vendor central accounts have found ways to get vendor central managers or catalog people to change listings of competitors, which is a well-known abuse tactic. Um, and there are entire black hat service companies that are dedicated to doing this to help people take out their competition through nefarious means. So brands, I, I started the whole seller velocity conference topic and theme for this year around brands who need to protect themselves and protect what they've built because there's no point having a successful you know, brand or business on Amazon and then just having somebody erase you because they know how to exploit all these black hat loopholes. So whether it's watching your rights ownership and making sure that your trademark isn't abused and making sure that your intellectual property isn't offended, there's no one selling counterfeit versions of your products, obviously those are concerns for any brand anywhere, not just on Amazon. Um, but beyond that, within Amazon's ecosystem, uh, you have to prepare to defend what you've built with the right way to appeal if your listing is taken down by a competitor and the right way to clean up your listings and get them back online if somebody sabotages them. So it's a, it's a different, different way of looking at uh, your Amazon account or business. Okay, do most of these black hat tactics come from overseas? Um, I don't think it matters anymore. We had this come up in the, um, the, the Facebook Live we did on Friday. Um, everyone always wants to talk about China. The black hats are in China. The black hat sellers are in China. It's just been China all over the place. They're the ones responsible for counterfeit. Um, way before Chinese sellers got into dot-com and started selling to the extent they do, which was most people trace it to 2015, um, way before that, there were U.S.-based sellers selling counterfeits on Amazon. And there's still U.S.-based sellers selling counterfeits on Amazon that might be sourcing some items in China, but they're not Chinese and, and they're based in the U.S. Now, there are U.S.-based black hat services, many of them. They've, there's a plethora of services that have copied Chinese-type techniques and tactics. Um, and there's even lots of evidence that they're cooperating with each other in terms of East and West. There's a lot of knowledge going back and forth, sometimes maybe software or tools going back and forth, and then services in terms of, you know, hire us to take out your competitor. Um, that's also being shared. So maybe, maybe they're sharing clients, maybe they're sharing techniques, maybe people are taking, you know, some money off the top to introduce black hats to, to sellers um, and taking a commission from it. But as far as I'm concerned, I've sort of shut down the China conversation. I know what goes on in China. I know that's not going to be changing anytime soon. We know that there's plenty of fraud there, plenty of black hat activity. There always has been. There's no reason to think that'll stop. The real problem is that it's multiplied in the United States, and it's happening 10 times more now than it was maybe 18 months ago. So wow. that's why when the China stuff – I know this is coming up in Seattle. I've got plenty of warning that in six days – um, we're going to be talking about this at the Seller Velocity Conference, and my first quick answer will be, by the way, tons of this is happening here. So before we start blaming China for everything, recognize and understand and appreciate that right on U.S. soil, there's mountains of black hat uh, services that are collecting money just to do either non-compliant, non-TOS type practices or illegal activities. So the conversation so has there to start. We're in the U.S. I mean, I do events in the United States, at least up till this point. So I want to start the conversation with what's happening in the United States before we start looking overseas at what they're doing. So there is some of this stuff is coming from inside Amazon too, isn't it? I mean, maybe mm -hmm. not as common, but there are bad actors inside of Amazon. Yeah, yeah. it's hard to separate rumor from fact with some of this stuff. I mean, obviously with what I do for a living – People report all kinds of things to me. I have to take it with a grain of salt until I see evidence and proof. And, you know, there's a different yardstick for what's really hardcore proof versus just, you know, conjecture that's based on, you know, some interesting facts. Ultimately, you know, if I'm helping somebody report abuse like that, I have to study it very closely, take it very seriously. I have to draft correspondence based on that information. Um, 
but if it's if it's something that's an offshoot of a national media story or it came up in a meeting that a client of mine had at Amazon, um, it's really just case by case. You know, I, I'm very careful. I was a fraud investigator at Amazon. Um, I have been defending my clients against attempts at fraud since leaving Amazon. I'm very careful to separate apples from oranges and not to blur the lines. Like I said, with people saying hijacked listings, that there were tons of misuses of that definition. And then when it comes to black hat services, um, the only thing I'm clear on now with everyone is I don't want to talk about gray hat ever again. Some people say, well, it's gray hat. I'm kind of doing gray hat, not black or white. I don't allow that anymore around me or my business. You're either white hat, you're legal, you're playing by the rules, or you're black. And it's a very I, black I and white world to Amazon. You know? I, used to, I used to hear a lot about gray, you know, and I suppose based on their description of what they were doing, that would kind of be in a gray area. But that doesn't really matter to Amazon. If Amazon views this as black and white, then you better look at it their way because you are not going to have an opportunity to get on the phone with product review abuse teams or marketplace abuse teams or with Amazon legal or with compliance teams. You are not going to have a really good chance to explain yourself if you're caught doing some of these things or hiring some of these companies um, because Amazon could just sue the companies and your company could be on a list of services uh, of, comp- of clients for that service. And, oh, and the service isn't that. going to be yeah. loyal to you. Well, this is something that came up recently in an interview I did, but it hasn't been discussed much. Um, and, and the Seller Velocity Conference is not going to be four hours of discussion about Black Hat. I mean, it's going to have its place. But no one ever seems to think I might get a lifetime ban on Amazon from doing this stuff. Um, it may look like I'm doing lots of bad stuff, but I'm only doing a little bad stuff. I mean, are you going to leave it up to Amazon to interpret that? I mean, that's a huge risk to take. And then beyond that, you have to think about prosecutions and people getting sued, which is Amazon can squeeze that company in a lawsuit and say, hand us over your names. Mm -hmm. And if your company's name is on that list, you're looking at two things, lifetime ban from Amazon, and you're looking at potentially getting sued by Amazon, which Mm -hmm. is probably the only way this gets fixed. Yeah. (laughs) In my opinion. Can we assume that Amazon is working on on – trying to deal with these black cat tactics, there's got to be teams somewhere that are working oh, on it. Of course. Wouldn't I mean, think? yeah. They've, they've, yeah. For, for years, there's been people uh, working on it. I mean, whether or not they're working on it efficiently or doing it enough, I mean, that's the debate. And, of course, somebody like me would say, no, they could be doing more. Um, and I'm somebody who's intimately familiar, you know, with the types of tools they're using or the types of teams that are responsible for this kind of abuse prevention. But there's nobody who knows more about any of this than Amazon. So it's going to stay on their shoulders um, to, to sort some of this out, to devote more headcount to it, to devote more resources, more um, investigative resources, and uh, maybe ultimately more legal resources. Because like I said, it, I, think, I think something this big, this terrible, has to be at least partially resolved in, in the courts. Um, if it's not handled by Amazon, it will go to court on somebody's lawsuit uh, there's lots of discussion now of seller information being sold on the black market. I mean, information yeah. like your your phone your phone number, your email address, your address. So, and now I'm hearing from people who say, well, I'm getting contacted by people. You know, they might even be overseas, but somehow they know where I live and they know my phone number, and they're saying, I know you sell blank and blank and blank, and you got to jump off those listings. They only have that information um, from somebody giving it to them. I mean, I don't think they've gone out and hired private investigators to track down private information on all these sellers. I think they were giving it to them. They, they were getting that information in a batch, something that they paid for. Mm. So, I mean, that means the black wow. hat services behind it, which again, I know this gets into the weeds on some of this stuff, but I'm a believer in, I mean, I'm, I'm hired to manage risk for my clients and I'm a believer in being prepared and uh, no better time than the present to get that, you know, any preparation that you need to do to keep, competitors from, you know, finding a mercenary and attacking you. Um, I think you have to do that now versus later. So guest nine, and I'm sorry, guest nine, I don't know who you are, but you have a great question. She says, he or she says, for those of Mm -hmm. us who want to play by the game game legit, which that's Mm -hmm. all I preach because I'm a a white hat person, and we want to protect our business, what are the top best practices in the midst, midst of all this confusion? And that's Thalia. Thanks, Thalia. 
in terms of, so we're not talking about protecting a brand. We're just tra- talking about fending off attacks. Protecting ourselves. Understand that, yeah, just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, obviously some of it, I mean, if, if information about you and your account and your business is leaking from inside the company to outside, there's not a heck of a lot you can do about that. Um, but in terms of somebody buys from you and makes a fake safety complaint or a safe, uh, fake counterfeit complaint, um, counterfeit complaints, as long as Amazon's responsive, which we can talk about how to escalate things that get stuck or you don't get a response, but it, you, know, you should be able to defend against any counterfeit complaint. You should have a great invoice. Uh, ideally, you have an authenticity letter from the supplier, which is, looks legit. They're a legitimate company. They've got a great-looking website that makes it look like they sell the brand that you were accused of selling counterfeit and other brands, perhaps good website. They've got a letter that they give you on company letterhead. It's signed by somebody who isn't just Hank, customer service representative, but it's maybe a sales manager or the owner of the company. Um, And you can show Amazon lots and lots of information all at once, along with whatever they want from you, a POA, a, a guide to explain what your improvements will be in the future. If somebody happened to think something was counterfeit, but it wasn't, you're drowning Amazon in all this wonderful information about the authenticity of your products. And this has been a big problem with drop shippers, right, that don't have invoices unless there's an order. It no longer matters, mm-hmm. and maybe it never mattered. It doesn't matter if there's an order or not. You can be suspended, and Amazon can say, we need to see your invoices. We need proof of authenticity. It doesn't matter if there's an order. And writing a POA to Amazon saying, we never sold any of these is irrelevant, at least from Amazon's perspective. Again, you can, you can argue this in the courts some other time if you're accused of counterfeit and the brand hasn't made a test buy. That's something you should challenge if you can. But from Amazon's perspective, this is black and white. You either have an invoice to prove authenticity, that's their minimum amount of proof, or you don't have an invoice and you shouldn't have been selling a brand that you didn't have an invoice for. That's the way they view it. Same with infringements and rights ownership. Whether you've actually sold it or not, you had it available for purchase by getting on the list. Okay. Yeah, the two, two of the biggest misconceptions that I and I talk about these things daily, so I hear this at least several times a week. One is I shouldn't be punished for something I didn't sell. Um, And a lot of that isn't about should, it's about how Amazon does it, not what you believe is fair. And the second part is I didn't create this listing. I'm hit for a counterfeit infringement, but I didn't make the listing. I'm hit for a trademark infringement or some other intellectual property issue, but I didn't create this listing. For a lot of things, it doesn't actually matter if you created the listing or not, at least to Amazon. It matters that you're on the listing. So whether you piggybacked or not is irrelevant in terms of their enforcement teams and their procedures. Mm -hmm. So those are the two largest misconceptions that I guess are still floating around out there or being taught by different groups because I would say there's a steady stream of those comments and questions that I get every day or every other day. Um, and here's the thing. I, I preach this all the time in the group about building relationships. And in this case, building a relationship with your supplier can be invaluable um, yep. by having that letter, that letter of authenticity, easy access to invoices, all that kind of stuff. Um, Let's, let's assume they're an authorized distributor of the product or they're the manufacturer. Build those relationships. Mm-hmm. You go to a trade show, buy them a drink. You know, Have, have some, some interaction where you can call on them if something happens. Exactly. So, um, they need to you know, know who does, you are. And, right. Yeah. And you've been doing this for years, right? I mean, you were one of the people I had the first conversations with about this back when this started yep. becoming the biggest problem. And – I mean, yeah, we did. Yeah. That was four years ago, maybe, we had that conversation, mm-hmm. you know, about yeah. you've got to build the relationships with your, your suppliers. Not only for Amazon's sakes, but people in my group will know it protects you against people trying to, to steal your suppliers, too, um, yeah. by yeah. building that. So, well, they need to know who you are, and you might need them to go to bat for you if there's an infringement. So right. that you can say, hey, right. i, I got to get in touch with the brand's legal department. I can't, you know, I tried to use the email address Amazon gave me. Nobody responds. I need to resolve this and get a retraction. Otherwise, A, I might get suspended, or B, I'm already suspended, and I need the retraction to get reinstated. So you can go to, and it's unfortunate that people buying exclusively from authorized distributors are still getting hit with these infringement complaints, which maybe is a conversation for another day um, that that even happens. But, um, and of course, there's no test buy that the brand has done to back up that counterfeit claim if, if that's what the claim was. 
But the problem is if the brand doesn't know your storefront versus your company name or they don't know where you're buying product, they can use the notice claim process as a tool for figuring out who's who. And that's a terrible way to find out who's buying from an authorized distributor and who isn't. It would be much better if they went to the authorized distributors and figure out, figured out which Amazon sellers yeah. they sell to. Exactly. But that's kind of the pie-in-the-sky um, you know, way of looking at it, which isn't the reality, which is you might have to go to your supplier or distributor and say, remember that stuff I bought from you a couple months ago, that brand that you always sell to me? Um, it attracted infringement complaints from the brand, and now I'm suspended. I need your help to communicate with the brand. I understand maybe they won't be willing to do this, but you have to at least try to get them on board because you're a customer of theirs. So if they care about their customers, they'll say, well, I'm going to make sure I help you out of this fix with Amazon because otherwise you're not going to be buying a heck of a lot from me anymore. Um, this is one of the lesser described situations that comes up because most of the time we're talking about resellers and brands. But I think there should be more of a spotlight on the distributors themselves. Are they doing enough to communicate to new customers? Hey, you know, the brand might not be too happy about this. Or don't tell anyone that I'm selling this to you when I know that you're going to sell it on Amazon. I mean, those days are kind of over, right? You have to be in good terms with all these people. Or all they have to do is submit an infringement or even worse, hire a compliance agent to submit a bunch of them for a bunch of brands on the same day. Um, and then you have to deal with a compliance agency trying to get a retraction instead of the brand, which is often a pretty terrible thing to go through. So, so I have a question for Michelle um, that wasn't in mm -hmm. the list, but I think you can answer it. Um, so sure. say, say someone gets a trademark infringement, and the issue seems to be it's a back-end keyword where the infringement is. And mm -hmm. you didn't make the list. Trademark, yeah. We can't, we can't see those keywords, so how do we know it's there? But are they giving you an email address to – oh, you, I, I, there's no way to know it's there Yeah. that I know of. Yeah. But when you're getting the warning, you're, you're still getting an email. You're still getting an email address for the rights owner, right, when you get, when you no, get that I warning. No, I understand that, but yeah. trying to be proactive, because that's what, what we really preach yeah. is being proactive and not doing that because you're not supposed to. But you, you, you know, say you have you know, a pair of shoes that you're be authorized, you buy from the manufacturer and you're authorized to sell on Amazon. Little do you know that yeah. the person who made the original listing put Nike and Reebok and all that in the keywords. You don't know that. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden Nike and Reebok That can be very, very difficult. To, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's so many directions you can go with this conversation because don't forget, there might be a brand that loves you today and hates you tomorrow, and they won't necessarily tell you when their feelings change. How do they express that disinterest in you? Well, they submit an infringement claim to Amazon. They don't need to communicate with you or necessarily your distributor at all. Um, That's so low, then though. Then, you know, I mean, and then you are reacting. I've had, I've had more of these lately. It wasn't so much of an issue a couple of years ago. I would say in the last 12 months, there were more people who tell me, I've sold this brand for five years, never had a problem, and now I have tons of problems. I mean, it's just brands are taking much more of an interest in who sells their stuff on Amazon. They understand how the notice process works 10 times better now than they did three years ago, um, and they know how to weaponize it if they're not interested in, in seeing your listings of their products. So, yeah, And they know they're not going to get yeah. sued as often. Yeah, the, right. the lawsuits, I think, will start coming in, and some brands will be scared away from that strategy. But until there's, there's actual judgments, no settling out of court, you have a seller, a reseller who says, no, you accused me of counterfeit. I've never sold counterfeit. I'm taking this all the way into the courtroom, and you can offer me whatever settlement you want. I'm proceeding with this litigation. Until we see that, which is unlikely, um, this won't be adjudicated to the point where brands are afraid to make fake infringement or fake counterfeit complaints, which you're supposed to have a test buy before you do any fake, I'm sorry, before you do any counterfeit mm -hmm. complaint. Um, Amazon's obviously tired of being caught in the middle with all this junk, and they've let that slide. And they'll just suspend an account because you have too many counterfeit complaints. Well, how many of them were actually resolved or how many of these complaints were legitimate? Uh, we're suddenly in a gray area that we shouldn't be in. Um, they tend to suspend first and ask questions later. God, it's just a minefield. So it's becoming a, a, a bigger jungle. Yeah. Yeah. 
Raphael asked a related question. Um, he used the Amazon report infringement form to report a seller using his copyrighted content. Amazon did mm-hmm. remove the seller, but they also removed him, and the ASIN now goes to a dog page. He's emailed notice dispute at Amazon.com and explained and showed proof of the email that he yeah. was the one who filed the report, and they removed him in mm-hmm. error. It's been three weeks, and he hasn't heard back. What should he do? If it's been three weeks, I mean, especially the notice cues, which are the worst ones for either response time or just having your contacts lost and no response, you shouldn't be waiting three weeks for anything. Um, and this is this is actually one I, I commented on last night on your Facebook group, because I mean, whether or not you just take it to Jeff at Amazon and Executive Seller Relations and complain there, um, you need to create a mini timeline of how many times you wrote to notice or how long it's been since they responded to you. If they respond to you with generic gibberish, then you're going to want to attach a screenshot of that. But don't count on the notice teams to get that right without an escalation. I mean, I would not wait three weeks. Okay. If, if they, I've heard from, I mean, some of my clients have submitted infringement, you know, trademark or copyright infringements against other sellers, um, and they've lost their listings because of an investigator error like this. Um, you I have to go to once. as many places yeah. as you can. Yeah, that's right. I remember you posted about that. So you have yep. to just, I mean, that's something that needs to be corrected quickly because that could potentially last not just weeks but months. Um, you shouldn't be waiting to hear back from seller performance, from notice, from product quality, from really any team more than, you know, I suppose if it's Prime Day or Black Friday, sure, maybe it's a few few extra days, but no longer than that um, to follow up and say, hey, I've reported this. This, hap- this, this had a bad impact on my listing when I was reporting something else. It's a mistake. If they don't respond, then you have to eventually go to another team. You can't just wait for notice teams or call. Part of the problem is people keep calling seller support and saying, hey, what should I do? And they just say, oh, go to the notice teams. Like they just give you the first answer they think of, which is the most basic answer. And then they answer. copy and paste um, everything possible that doesn't relate to well, what you I mean, to make it look like this is why. Yeah, and this is why seller support is mostly a waste of time, which everyone knows that. But um, unless you're trying to do something very easy, very specific with seller support, like you need to get me to the catalog team, almost where you're telling them exactly what to do and how to do it, um, then you're, you're wasting your time, especially if you're trying to do things on the phone. Um, like you said, I mean, that's just going to make you frustrated and annoyed. So you need to kind of turn the focus to who, which escalation cues can I email, whether they're policy cues, whether it's seller performance team management, whether it's uh, the Jeff at Amazon, the executive seller relations email, which is kind of the, the stand-in for seller performance management now. Um, you have to start getting three and four and five irons in the fire because you don't really necessarily know in advance which one's going to pay off. Um, if you rely on just one tool to get just one thing done, you could be waiting for a long time. Yeah, Sandra and Ryan have the same thing. They asked why it's okay. taking notice dispute several weeks or months to remove false IP complaints, even though they got a retraction by the rights owner. Well, I guess my that question back to them is why are you waiting months. several weeks or months? Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> yeah. you know what? That's, that's you know, doubling back on them. They have to do something different, not expect Amazon to do something different. Because after a couple of weeks, right. if you haven't heard from them, Amazon's already given you their quote-unquote answer, which is a non-answer. So if Amazon's giving you a non-answer, you're not sitting back in your chair. You're sitting forward in your chair, and you're doing something else. Okay. So be proactive and don't wait for them to get back. Be aggressive. Basically. Most of this this stuff, I mean, to get back to the question about what are my top tips for somebody who might leave their job and start an Amazon business, make sure you have a very thick skin. Make sure you have a safety net of financial reserves or resources in case something goes sideways, whether it's a competitor attacking you or Amazon doing something weird to your business. And then make sure you're aggressive. And if you're not aggressive, and if you're a very patient person or you're a very understanding person, then find somebody in your organization or your company, even if it's a small company, who is the aggressive person who does press the matter because that's what makes these teams respond and that's what makes them take action. I would say... At this point, over 50% of what I'm hired for is escalations. Probably, if I really ran some data, 60 or 70% of what I'm hired for is escalations because sellers can get stuck easily on their own and stay stuck. Um, it's easy to do that, whether you're an expert or not, on some of these issues. The question is, what do you do when you get stuck? <laughs> That's where um, 
you separate the the business that survives and thrives from everybody else. Yeah, so here's a great question, and I don't expect you to have all the answers right now, but do you have a list somewhere of all the teams and what they're responsible for? Um, I don't, but it, depending on what you're looking for, what team, if you if they ask me, um, you know, I have a problem with blank, who do I go to? Usually I can answer that. I, I don't have a comprehensive list that I've made public of that, but um, okay. I'm happy to, I mean, if I, do they have a list of, of things they need? Maybe we can start there and they can let me know. Okay, we can revisit that in the group yeah. if necessary. But I yeah. have to admit, not, I'm knocking on wood here. I've not had a whole lot of interaction with anything but catalog team. Um, so Great. I don't know who does what. Yeah, that's a good thing. That's why I'm saying. Well, that means you're doing wood. something right. <laughs> you know? It's, yep. um, that means you're doing things there's correctly. There's this whole thing about, Part of me is like really a rebel, you know, and I want to do up. But in in my Amazon thing, I am buy the book, follow the rules. I'm the white hat person that that everybody should be. You know, this this would be a lot yeah. easier to manage, you know. And I think I think in in entrepreneurship, in many cases, the rebel does better as an entrepreneur because they're willing to try new things, they're willing to take risks and all that. But I think in the Amazon right. business, that's not the case. I think that hurts you in an Amazon um, business rather than helps you. Depends on what you mean by rebel. I mean, there's entrepreneurial push, push rebellion, rules, which is you know? being creative. And, yeah, but, I mean, being pushy or being aggressive can mean different things. Um, not to go back to our conversation about Black Hat, which we already covered, but just a quick follow-up. Um, imagine all the people today who are depending on Black Hat services that, that disappear tomorrow. Well, they know how to do anything. Will they know how to compete? Will they know how to sell successfully on Amazon? Or they, will they be so addicted to the black hat stuff that when you take it away, they're lost? That's right. Um, that's what, how I, many that's sit, what I was thinking. How many people sit down and think about that? I mean, usually they just focus on the addiction. They don't focus on the, well, what if this becomes a problem down the road? They're, they're very short-term thinking, not long-term. Mm -hmm. But the good news for everyone, you know, anytime somebody says, I play by the rules and it's killing me, what, what is my hope for the future? I would say, hey, you will be the one who survives when all the black hats are gone because they won't know how to do anything without paying somebody to break the rules for them. So they won't be able to com compete with you because they don't know how to be white hat and they don't know how to do it successfully and play by the rules. Okay, so Sarah has a question, and it's a very specific one. She says she had a product condition complaint that she's addressed and had her account notated. Should the complaint still be showing up in her account health? Um, the account health is wildly easy. inaccurate. Uh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Account okay. health. Okay. I so mean, we talked. We talked to some account health specialists at Prosper Show um, in March. They know that that tool isn't going to be rebuilt or built into something better for a while. Um, some of those complaints take up to what 180 days to drop off. So really, what you're looking at that matters is: Do you have a notification where you can show them in writing that they told you an ASIN's reinstated? Um, okay. The, no the notifications are what matters. I know that stinks because the dashboard, the point of it is that you don't have to juggle 84 different notifications in a row. Um, but account health but is if the accurate. numbers aren't it's any good, then it's kind of pointless, you know? I don't think they are. I don't, spend, don't, I, I don't spend any time looking at account health numbers for accuracy because I know they're not accurate. And Amazon knows they're not accurate. So. Okay. It's just and a dashboard with some dated information on it. That's really all it is. Yeah, the restock numbers are, are highly inaccurate too. You know, I've got stuff that hasn't right. sold in ages, and they say, you need to send 96 more in, you know. It's like, come on, yeah. really? So <laughs> they need to get those teams to do some basic math. Um, Michelle has yeah. a question about um, this appeals court ruling about um, Amazon being liable for defective goods sold by third-party sellers. Mm -hmm. Do you, what changes you think are going to come about from that? There'll be more, even more aggressive investigations around counterfeit complaints and safety complaints. So my fear is a lot of people will be wrongfully suspended for those even more than they are now. I think it'll be better, better for buyers in a sense because um, Amazon's now more motivated to weed out bad Apple sellers and get them off the site sooner as opposed to just tweaking an SOP or um, running some tools changes by some engineers to see if they can catch things sooner. I mean, now they're really motivated 
to prevent counterfeiting, to prevent safety. The question is, can they do it the right way, or are they going to sweep up a lot of people that don't belong swept up in those kinds of investigations? Um, also, that's being appealed. I don't know when that's going to go to a higher court, um, but that might not be the last word on the matter. That's one federal appellate court. That might not be where it, where it ends up landing once Amazon takes it more seriously. I think maybe Amazon didn't think that that ruling was going to be the result. And so uh, maybe they had an opportunity to beat that back and they lost it. But I think if it's going to a higher court, they're going to be paying a lot more attention to it. In the meantime, I assume they're going to be investigating accounts 10 times more for preventing safety issues um, and preventing counterfeit complaints. Okay. Um, I have a question because I've heard conflicting information in the few groups I visit. Um, the mm -hmm. inventory performance score and uh, storage limits for Q4, I've heard it's going to be up to 450. Some people said it's still going to be at 350. Do you have any information um, to what, where we're actually I going? I don't. No, no, I mean, I'm going to Seattle next week, so I can try asking around. Okay. Because um, we had we somebody at, at, at a conference who said that the Amazon person there didn't know anything, and they said one thing, and then another Amazon person said another thing. And so, um, mm -hmm. so that's an issue for some people because – I mean, I'm going to try I mean, to find yes, that out, but I don't know offhand. Okay. Yeah. okay. Um, the, um, the another question about titles. And um, Rachel brought this up, and it, it's, it's an issue for me, too, the use of an ampersand in the title, um, because it's part of a lot of brand names. Are they going to realize that and not suppress those listings? I, see, you know, I'm if, I, if, I mean, I'm assuming so, because that's in the brand name, right, of many brands is an, is an at symbol or an and symbol. One, so, of, one of them's mine. It's in their brand name. I mean, and their brand you have to think, right. You have to think that they'll, you know, engineers know enough to build in certain exclusions and rules into the algorithms that they uh, roll out. Um, will there be mistakes? Will that be executed properly? I don't know. I mean, if past history is any indication, there's at least a decent chance that that will be um, managed or handled incorrectly sometimes, at least part of the time. Does that mean you should take out every at symbol or every and and put in the word and? I mean. I haven't. I, I don't think so because there are a lot of ands that are part of the brand names. So right, that's, that's mine. That's the issue. That yeah, that's is, the first degree of exclusion. Yeah. yeah, any discussion that they would have ever had before launching this new policy would be, you know, what about if it's in the brand name or the title of the product? So um, okay, and you'd have to think Michelle that was their first a, move. An ancillary thing about the dash. Um, and she says, Amazon's own title examples show the dash, but it is a non-alphabetic mm -hmm. character. So that's kind of, that's the, the stuff that drives me. That's an excellent question, actually. Business, yeah. Know? Yeah. So if they're showing examples of their own stuff using it and then saying, well, you can't use non-alphabetic characters, it's like, do as I say, not as I do. I, mean, I know, which is kind of what they do with everything, but. Um, yeah, hopefully yeah. this will not be this will be something to worry about and prepare for, but nothing to do anything about because it won't be an issue. Um, okay. And as far as the dashes, yeah, I mean, we just have to go by what they've posted as the policy change on Jan uh, July 22nd. We can't read too far into things. Yeah, and then we can't read past July 23rd, you know, on stuff because it's right. um, <laughs> so. And one last question um, from Sandra and Ryan again. What new policies, if any, do you think do you anticipate Amazon imp implementing on third-party sellers in response to this public and government scrutiny about their business model? And there was that thing in Germany that just popped up today. But do you think anything? Um, yeah, is going to happen. I mean, Germany, this stuff's been. I mean, Germany's in the EU, and the EU is not the US, so there, there are differences between regions. But the Germany stuff was brewing for a long time. Um, lots of sellers had complained to legal agencies, government agencies about I'm being suspended unfairly, there's not enough transparency um, about why I'm being suspended. Some of it is around data, you're using my data in ways I didn't approve of, and that's a much, much larger conversation. The rest of it's about transparency, you're suspending my account, you're not really giving me examples of why, 
you're not telling me why um, when I appeal, you're not telling me why you're rejecting the appeal. That's the sort of thing that could lead to progress because I think on the Amazon side, there's an easier fix than going through, you know, months and years of either litigation or other, you know, craziness. Um, the messaging, we all know the messaging could be improved. Um, if they improve the messaging, then that would automatically bestow better transparency in terms of why they're suspending accounts. There could be more details um, in, in the suspensions themselves. They could give you ASINs instead of sometimes not giving you any listings, as examples. Mm -hmm. If they said you abuse a policy, product reviews, they could tell you how you're abusing product reviews instead of sending a long list that says um, you may be doing one of these three things or one of these ten things. I think yeah. that would have guess to go which one window. it is. Yeah, well, in the code of, I mean, whoever's, hopefully you haven't gotten the code of conduct type of kiss of death messaging because those are tough to come back from. But that, I mean, the list just gets longer and longer and longer. Now there are 19 different things, and there used to be 12 different things that you may have done, but you have to self-select out of that list and tell Amazon what, which ones you did because they don't want to tell you which ones and then have you get away with five more that you never mention in the future. Um, that nonsense, hopefully, starting in Germany and then maybe later on down the road in the United States, um, that nonsense will fall by the wayside because there's little to no transparency right now. We have nowhere to go but up <laughs> in terms of better messaging, more clarity, um, and also why people are getting denied. You know, they send this ridiculous message, we need more detail from you. And they ask for more details on everything that you've already submitted, right? So it's just a copy Chris, and paste of the entire chunk of text. Yeah. I have to cut you off here because TalkShoe okay. just crashed. <laughs> so okay. we're not recording anymore. Apparently Let's we're pick at it up. the hour Let's pick time. it up on the site. I can still continue yeah. some AMA Q&A. I mean, I'm, not, I'm, leaving, I'm leaving town tomorrow, so I'm here today. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sorry it, it so. crashed, but at least we got most of it. That's okay. Thank you so much for your time. And I'll catch up with you later sure. today, too. Okay? Yeah. Okay. I mean, and can now. you post the code? Yeah. I, I'm doing that right as we speak. And I'll Great. post the link Thanks to the register there too. Okay, bye, Chris. Awesome. Bye. bye.